Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. In particular, I want to thank... Jennifer for sending along a one-time donation to support.greatdetectives.net. You can also support the show on an ongoing basis at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for today's episode of Nightbeat. The original air date is May the 25th, 1951, and the title of this one is Fear. Nightbeat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star, which is as good a way of making a buck as any if you like walking and nobody's hiring mailmen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm real bitter tonight. It all began with a column I wrote, oh, a few months ago, about a fire in a little nightclub over on the north side and the panic that followed. Afterwards, I couldn't get that panic out of my system. Human beings reduced to the level of animals. All they had to do was walk calmly out of the building, but no, they tore and smashed and clubbed and clawed, not caring about anything but their own precious skin. And so, three people were trampled to death. It griped me, and I wrote in my column that we were all a lot closer to the jungle than we realized when human beings could act so vile and so ugly in the face of fear. A couple of hours later, the galley sheet of the column was tossed on my desk, and, as usual, the proofreader had found a dozen mistakes in my spelling. But something else was added. Across the story was written... Too bad the human race doesn't come up to your standards. Signed, Fraser. I don't know, maybe I was feeling a little bad about the column myself, but it kind of got under my skin. I put in a call to the proofreader's desk to have Mr. Fraser drop around. I'd hardly hung up the phone when a little dame about 70 years old, five feet tall but hard as nails, came down the aisle. Pencil sticking out everywhere from her gray hair and her celluloid eye shade firmly in place. Mr. Fraser's been dead for 38 years, but if you don't mind talking to his widow... I sit down. I, uh, I just called you over to punch you in the nose. Oh. You want to do it here, or should we go down to the alley? <laughs> I'll take a rain check. It's too soon after Mother's Day. You burned me up, putting yourself on a pedestal. Shame on you. Well, you weren't at that fire. You didn't see those nice human beings tear at each other like tigers. And you've never really been afraid, have you, Mr. Stone? Oh, I don't know. Of course you don't know. That's what makes me sore. You don't know what real panic can do to you. 
It can tear you apart. It can poison you. Don't kid me, Fraser. You've never been afraid of anything in your life. Oh, not much I wasn't. You ever hear of the lakeside? No, that was when you were still in cotton triangles. Well, it was a vacation ship. And it tipped over in Lake Michigan. And I was on it. And let me tell you something, laddie boy. I torn, clawed, and ripped with the best of them. Sure, I was ashamed afterwards. But it left me with something more than shame. It left me with understanding. Well, maybe. The only way to understand hunger is to go without food. You won't ever understand fear until you've really been afraid. I mean afraid in every drop of blood, in every nerve. Then you'll understand it. And maybe you'll climb down off that pedestal. Now, is there anything else you wanted to say to me? No, no, but thanks for letting me talk myself out. Okay. See you around. Oh, and another thing. Yeah. You spell like a two-year-old. I before E except after C. Will you please remember that? She was a doll. I wasn't going to argue with her about anything, spelling or fear. Except that being a strictly no-hero type guy, I'd still like to see the day that anything could turn me into the savages I saw at that fire. And that was the end of it, for a few months anyhow, until I got the letter. This letter was on top of the pile, nothing unusual about the envelope, no return address, postmark, Winona, Illinois. Ah, dear Mr. Stone, I'm mailing this letter so that you will receive it on May 24th. It is important that you receive it then, because after that you would not receive it at all. You see, sometime between the evening of May 24th and the following morning, I am going to kill you. Hmm? Oh, anonymous. Well, yeah, that figures. Uh, going to kill you. I realize you will instantly decide that I am a harmless crackpot. Oh, instantly, brother, instantly. And I am counting on that to keep you from going to the police. Let me assure you that I have no motive for killing you. I know you only through your newspaper column, and you know me not at all. But then what motive has the hunter of the fox beyond the excitement of the kill itself? Hmm, brother. I selected you as my victim because as you walk the city at night, you make a very excellent target... And also because, obviously, from your writings, you are an intelligent man. You know, flattery's going to get this kid nowhere. I am writing you about my plans because I want you to spend every second constantly on guard. I want you to wonder about your fate, wonder when it will happen, and how. A knife, a gun, poison. Whatever way I choose, I assure you, I will trap you in a most unusual fashion. Hmm. Well, thank you and good night.
And I tossed the letter from Winona, Illinois, into the wastebasket. Everyone who wrote a column got one of these every so often. The world was filled with such goofs. By the time I started on my night beat that evening, I couldn't even tell you the exact words of the letter. By the time I made my regular stop at Gus's Beanery around nine, the letter from Winona was gone from my mind. The Beanery was empty. I went over to the counter. Uh, evening, Mr. Stone. Hey, your paper called. Kindly give the switchboard a ring. Ah, thank you. What's the soup du jour, if I may be so bold? Hmm, what's always the soup du jour at this establishment? Whatever won't go down the garbage disposal, mixed with liberal amounts of Lake Michigan's finest. <laughs> you make it sound heavenly. Uh, a large bowl. I'll call it. As I dialed the paper, I idly watched the seedy little character push his face against the restaurant's plate glass window and then come slowly into the place, shuffling uncertainly. Then the gal at the paper answered, and I turned to the phone. Chicago Star. Ah, uh, this is Stone. What small crisis are we faced with tonight? Oh, Mr. Stone, you had a long-distance call. Let me see. Here it is, from somebody in Winona, Illinois. That letter. You say something? Ah, uh, no, no, go on. Well, the party seems terribly anxious to reach you. He left a number to call in Winona, said if he didn't hear from you within an hour, he was coming into the city to find you. That was almost two hours ago. Did he leave his name? No, just a phone number. One, eight, three, six. But like I said, he called two hours ago and he said that if... Yeah, 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 I know. Well, you might try him, though. He really seems desperate to find you. Oh, well, good for him. Thanks, kid. As I hung up the phone, I noticed that my stomach muscles had tightened ever so slightly. And the palm of my hand was just a little damp. I called the Winona number like a real sucker, and the phone rang on and on at the other end. And I got the mental picture of some wild-eyed loon sitting in a dark room, hearing the phone ring and shrieking himself silly at having fooled me. Then I turned and started walking back to the restaurant counter. I noted that the seedy little character who'd come in while I was on the phone, with every seat in the restaurant empty, had chosen the seat next to mine. There he was, nursing a cup of coffee right next to my bowl of soup. I kind of smiled inwardly at the odd little feeling that gripped my knees for an instant and was gone. I sat down beside him, looking at his reflection in the long mirror behind the counter. A watery-eyed, moth-eaten little character in a frayed coat. I salted my soup, reached for the spoon. And then I realized humorously that the uh, feeling that had been in my knees was now in my wrists. Now, uh, let's face it, Randy, old boy, old kid, old top, this is undoubtedly the killer, and he has unquestionably spilled strychnine into your soup. <laughs> I grinned to myself, wondering... Why the grin kind of caused my lips to ache. And then I dipped my spoon into the soup. Only, you know, it was a little funny how he'd chosen the seat next to mine with a whole restaurant at his disposal. The spoon of soup was on its way to my lips and that odd feeling had now settled in my elbow. 
Oh, knock it off, I thought. At your age, you're a big boy, Randy. Drink the soup. But it was an amusing thought. I mean, Winona was only 40 miles from Chicago, and he would have had time to get here by now. Ah, the soup, kid, yeah. Well, the soup had reached my lips, and my eyes automatically went to the big mirror. He was staring straight at me, expectantly. I put the spoon down. Ah, uh, Gus, come yeah. over here, will you? Sure. What can I do for you, Mr. Stone? My soup got cold. How about another bowl? Sure thing. It's a break for the cat. Oh, no, not the cat. Eh? Why not the cat, friend? I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll be going. Now, one second. Why not the cat? Fine soup like that? I, I sure wouldn't mind if the soup wasn't so warm. Why? That bowl of soup. You were away... It drew me like a magnet. It became the most wonderful thing in the world, sitting next to it, inhaling its spicy aroma. Oh, oh it's frightening how one's values change. It's very frightening. I'll be going now. No, 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 wait a minute. Uh, the soap is fine for me, Gus. Serve this gentleman the hot bowl and see what else you'll have. Sure, Mr. Stone. I, I always made my own way. Sometimes everything gets out of hand. But really, I, I don't want charity. Well, take my word for it, sir. I owe it to you. I left the beanery a little after ten, feeling like an idiot junior grade. Back to work, wandering the lonely places of the night, looking for my story... The railroad yards where kids in overalls flipped off the freights and brushed the straw from their jeans, thinking, Chicago, here I am. Past the produce markets beyond the loop where trucks were already coming in and loading their crates of fruits and vegetables. Through the narrow canyons of the downtown financial district, deserted, empty. The night wind whipping the scraps of paper that was so vital yesterday into the gutter. But tonight, the story wasn't there. It wouldn't come. Tonight, something was gnawing at me, and I kept pushing it away, trying to shame it out of my system. But I couldn't shake it. Finally, I stopped in at a gas station. It was closed for the night, but the phone booth was open. But Winona 1836 was never going to answer. Then the newspaper again to see if they'd heard from him. Oh, yes, Mr. Stone. I was trying to reach you. He came in all right more than an hour ago. He's there now? No. He hung around a while. He seemed so agitated. Then he said he'd find you himself and left. Uh, what does this character look like? Gee, how would you describe... Well, an uh, average-looking fellow, only excited. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Listen, if he comes back... You very quietly dial P O five one three one three. You understand that? But that's the police. You catch on fast, baby. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. 
There's more mystery later this evening with two rough and tough crime fighters. There's the amazing Mr. Malone, a daring private detective equally proficient at romance or solving murders. Followed by the man called X, an intrepid soldier of fortune played by Van Heflin, who travels to all the dark and mysterious corners of the world, combating the evils of international intrigue. Yes, there's action and adventure every Friday here on NBC. Now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. After the gal on the switchboard had told me that my chum from Winona was now in town, I stayed in the phone booth in the deserted little gas station to call the police. A crazy man somewhere in the dark city looking for me. No, no, I wasn't having any. Oh, hello. Give me Captain Barton. Barton speaking. Oh, Captain, this is Randy Stone of the Star. Yes, Randy. Look, some screwball is out gunning for me. I think I need some help. Uh, a little slower, Randy. Uh, I got a letter from this guy. I thought he was just a crank, I but I... I can't understand you. Talk slower. Relax, Randy. This doesn't sound like you. Well, it is me. It's me, all right. Now, look, I don't know who this guy is or when he'll decide to move in. But it's not so good for the nerves, Captain. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Start from the beginning. And then I heard the sound. Someone tapping on the glass door of the phone booth. I turned. It was dark, but I could see his face, wild and excited. You hear what I said, Randy? Do it slow, and I don't even remember hanging up the phone. I felt my throat closing up. He was a slight fella, his hands hammering against the glass door. They looked extraordinarily white and strong. I opened the door quickly. Thanks. Sorry to have to cut you short like this. But boy, I, I think this is it. Huh? Her pains are coming every three minutes now. The doc said when they start like that, to call him quick. Man, am I nervous. It's my first kid, you know. He was nervous. I started walking fast trying to find a cab so that I could get to the police station and make that lughead Barton understand what was happening. Only none of the cabbies ever bothered with this neighborhood this late at night. Warehouses, small factories, lofts, everything shuttered up for the night. A hundred times I'd walked this street without ever realizing how completely lonely it was. A figure was coming the other way without even thinking. I crossed the street to the other side. And the figure went on. Now I wasn't wasting any time telling myself what a dope I was. I wanted to get to that police station fast. There were no cabs, but a block ahead was a subway entrance. I hurried toward it, all my nerves jangling. I figured maybe a cigarette might make me calm down. I ducked into a doorway, struck a match. As the match burst into flame, I saw I wasn't alone. Waiting for you. For me? You, the bunny Prince Charlie. Harry S. Truman, the man on the flying trapeze. Anybody with a pack of cigarettes and a social conscience. Uh, here, uh, take the whole pack. I thank you, for you have made me king of the night. Now, till dawn, I will stand here and let the galaxies entertain me. 
Sagittarius, the Pleiades, Perseus, the tiny North Star, dancing all of them to the music of our thrashing earth. Oh, fine, Greg, thanks. See you around. I kept on walking, thinking, Riley, any other night, what a kick I'd have gotten from shooting the breeze with a guy like that. Poet of the darkness, his study, any alley, any doorway of the city. But tonight, all I wanted was to reach the subway up ahead and get to the police. And then I was standing before the subway entrance. But it was dark, and across the entrance was the sign, closed after 10 p.m., Fullerton Station Open. Fullerton Station, that was four blocks across town. Everything was against me tonight. The whole city was against me. Every building and every street. For the first time in my life, it was all strange. I hated it. I hurried toward Fullerton, through an area of condemned tenements now being torn down for a housing project. Everything broken and shattered against the night. But beyond the ruins, the lights of Fullerton Street, the subway, safety. The word had never meant much to me, but now it meant everything. I was walking very quickly, trying with all my willpower to keep from running. My heart beating too hard inside me and my nerves feeling them tighten. And I stopped. I looked around me frantically. Not another soul. The bulldozers and other heavy equipment standing alone in the streets. The smashed buildings, nothing else. And then I realized the voice was coming from the building just to my right. An ancient, sprawling apartment house. Two upper stories already demolished, but the lower part still standing. I rushed over to the building. The windows were boarded up, but the boards were rotting, and I tore one aside. Are you in here? Yes. Yes, please help me. Hurry. Trap. Falling timbers. Hurry. I ran to the arched entrance of the building, also boarded up. Even in the darkness, I could read the large sign nailed across the front, Condemned Danger. I tore the boards aside. And I went into the building. It was like looking into a cave. The faintest moonlight from outside revealed broken floors, smashed walls, and narrow hallways leading off in all directions. Hurry! Whoever you are, please hurry! I can't hold out much longer. Can't. I looked through my pockets for matches. There were none. I'd given them to the philosopher. Have any idea where you are in relation to the entrance? Oh, well, look, fella, I can't find you in the dark. I'll go for help. No, no, please don't leave me alone. I can't hold out much longer. Jimbo, sitting me down. Don't leave me. All right. All right, but keep talking. I'll try to follow your voice. You tell me if my footsteps seem to be getting closer. Yes, I will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I went down what had apparently been the main hallway. Rooms arched off in every direction. I stumbled. I crashed through rotting floors trying to reach you. Put to sleep. Put to sleep. Put to 
Empty room after empty room. Some dimly lit by the moon, most of them in deep, suffocating darkness. Keep talking. Your voice sounds closer. Okay, yeah. You seem closer to me. I'd gone down at least half the length of the building. Once I looked back and the front door seemed so far off now. Gave me a strange feeling. Tricks on you, don't you? You never know it. It's gonna catch up, sir. How or where? Listen! Did you why did you stop? Why did you say that? What? I don't catch it. You never know when fate will catch up to you. How or where? That's what the letter said. How long have you been here? Oh. Answer me. Hours. Why didn't somebody else find you? Why did you wait for me? But I couldn't move. The blackness seemed to close me in. I started having trouble breathing. Close, yes. His voice seemed to be right ahead of me. Come on. Or behind me. Come on. Where was it? Was he waiting for me there in the darkness, waiting to spring at me, a gun in his hand or a knife? Come on. What are you doing, Harry? His voice didn't sound right. It didn't sound right. He was only pretending to be hurt. He wasn't hurt at all. Oh, no, stop it, Randy. Get a control of yourself. You've got to help him. But no, I couldn't move. My legs had turned to stone. I couldn't budge them. Completely at his mercy, this crazed man. I'll trap you in a most interesting way. What was that? I thought I heard a movement. He was coming for me through the darkness. I had to get away. I had to get away. Sit down, Randy. Yeah, thanks, Captain. Thanks. Hey, you look terrible. What's happened? Well, I started telling you over the phone. This crazed loon sent me a letter saying that he was going to kill me. He was going to trap me. I know me. all about the letter. The guy's right in the next office. The next office? Sure. He came into town a couple of hours ago. Send Mr. Harris in. He was here when you phoned. I was just kidding you along, and then before I could tell you, you hung up. But he couldn't be. He... Uh. Uh, Mr. Harris, this is Randy Stone, the man you've been trying to reach. Oh, Mr. Stone, you? You're the one who sent the letter? Oh, no. No, 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 I'm the tenant there at the sanitarium. Sanitarium? Yeah, for the insane. It's a private one in Winona. I, I should have known better, but, well, he seemed so rational at the time. What are you talking about? The letter, you know, he, the letter, he gave it to me. He asked me to mail it as a favor to him. Said he was sending you a letter of appreciation for your fine column. But wait. Oh, I, I know it's against all the rules to mail the letters without the superintendent reading them, but, well, well like I say, he seemed so rational. And, and then, then after I mailed it, then he told me what he'd written. Well, that's why I've been trying so desperately to reach you. Because I, I could get fired if it ever came out that I... You mean he's up in Winona, locked up? Oh, sure. Sure, you, you don't have to worry about that. Captain, get a car and for God's sake, hurry. Thank you.
Yes, the poor guy in the abandoned apartment was still alive when we got to him, but no special thanks to me. I felt like such a fool, I didn't know how I was going to live with myself. And then I remembered somebody. And even if it was just a little after three in the morning, I went calling. When she saw who it was, she reached for a coffee pot to bang me on the head. But when I told her about tonight, well, she added water and put the coffee pot over a high flame instead. So you had to wake me up to tell me what a bum you are, huh? Yeah. Uh, no different from the others. Clawing, tearing. And just why should you be different, lover boy? You were special design or something? After the Lord finished with you, he threw away the pattern? Okay, okay. Don't you get it yet, brain? We're all in the same jungle. And fear is what keeps us there. And the only way we're ever going to get out is hand in hand. Well, that sounds great, but uh, what about me? How do you ever get over feeling like a worm? Oh, there's a way. I'll give you some of this poisonous brew, and then I'll whisper the secret into your little pink ear. It wasn't much of a secret... All she did was send me down to the office, back to the typewriter, to put it all down, every word, and in the first person. And you know, maybe it's the same with fear as it is with a lot of other things. As soon as you stop hiding it, as soon as you share it around, the sting is gone. But brother, fear is a deadly weapon that makes the atom bomb look like a squirt gun. Maybe the day we all stop being afraid. Maybe that's the day the new world they all talk about will officially begin. Anyway, I guess the article I wrote was okay because when it got back to me from the copy reader's desk, scrawled across the front and that bold, angry hand was, Welcome back to the human race, but your spelling is atrocious. <laughs> okay, Fraser, I love you too. Copy boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Hi, this is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site, where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Well, I really wish that this proofreader would be a recurring character. It was a very interesting uh, performance. And I thought it was a good story overall. And it does highlight and I think address one of the big challenges with a character like Randy. 
because there is a fine line between a character who has a sense of being a righteous crusader and someone who is just incredibly self-righteous, and the latter can be very off-putting. And I think she definitely had a point in calling him on his attitude. And it does work as a good, solid character piece in bringing Randy in touch with his own humanity and with our natural human inclination to not live up to our best ideals. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we start with Tim, who writes, I could listen to Tudor Owen philosophize any time when his dialogue is written by E. Jack Newman. Plus, we got to hear Bill Conrad doing what he does best. Love this episode. Thanks so much for the comment, Tim. And also a comment from Stephen regarding episode 2259, The Slasher. One of the beauties of Nightbeat is that you actually don't know how it will turn out. With Nightbeat, it is equally likely the artist will scar or kill the girl or kiss her. With some shows, you know it will be a happy ending, and with others, Pat Novak, for example, you know everyone will end up dead. With Nightbeat, anything can happen. Thanks again for all you do. Well, thank you so much for your kind comments, Stephen. And uh, that will actually do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for That Hammer Guy. Next Monday, another episode of Nightbeat. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. And be sure and check out our YouTube archive, youtube.greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.